Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show, and welcome to September. Yeah, it came before we knew it, right? I mean, no. I've been waiting a long time. <laughs> you have? You've been waiting? Oh, football. football. Yeah, football. Yeah, yep. I've been you've, been, you've been waiting forever. Yes. <laughs> you've been waiting. Welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that translates Trump as if he needed translation. He does not. We take an honest look at the current administration, and we expose the existential threats to America. Hey, this rioting is really starting to register. You see mm-hmm. Biden responding to mm-hmm. it here. Joining me today, Sean Trendy. He's our guy. He's a pollster. I know you worry about pollsters. I worry about pollsters. Trendy's pretty reliable. His record's good. Mm-hmm. He's uh, not partisan. We'll get a straight read from him. He's the senior election analyst for Real Clear Politics. We'll also catch up with our friend Conrad Black. He is uh, not uh, nonpartisan. <laughs> He's an author, columnist, non-affiliated member of the House of Lords, a biographer of Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. and a strong supporter of President Trump. He's written at least four columns that I'm in possession of on this. All within a short period of time. Yeah. He wonders whether America really wants the Mr. Rogers presidency. Sweater and a hug. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not that's not Trump, by the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, in case anyone needed to translate yeah. that, he's not talking about President Trump. <laughs> First, a couple things I want to discuss. The big, big news is that um, Joe Biden came out of his catacomb. You know what a catacomb is? <laughs> a place where Christians yeah. used to hide, uh-huh. you know, underground. <laughs> Joe Biden, the president calls him Joe Hyden. <laughs> Among other things, Sleepy Joe. Sleepy Joe, yeah. But he's coming back and making, making pretty good sense. He's, uh, you mm-hmm. know, making a couple of mistakes. But his press thing was a little awkward to watch. A little, you know, he's 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 shaky. But, you know, but he's, gosh, he's way ahead. Mm-hmm. And we'll ask mm-hmm. Sean about that. Um, you know, he's going back on a lot of things. First of all, I mean, he's saying, oh, I never said we'd get rid of fracking. Well, he sure did. But now he's telling at least folks in Pennsylvania, no, that ain't the case. And then something I thought was catastrophic when he said uh, in that ABC interview with David Muir asked about, you know, would you shut the country down again? He said, yes, if the doctors say shut it down, I'll shut it down. He's trying to backtrack from that. And nobody wants this country shut down again. Right, right. I think you would have to have the Black Plague for people to feel comfortable doing that. Anyway, it's kind of a dodge to say, you know, whatever the doctors say. Well, doctors say different things, as we know, you know. We talked about on the last podcast, different doctors will say different yes. things, they'll have yes. different suggestions. This is why even in our personal lives, we get second opinions, second and third opinions. Yep, go see the doctor. Biden goes see sees the doctor. Okay, Joe, take two aspirin, get some sleep, shut down the country. <laughs> just a little thought, just j- j- jiving a little bit here. Um, and, of course, he's addressing the riots now. Mm-hmm. Um, the stock market was up, down, down yesterday, up today. We shall see. And I believe all in all, up. I mean, given the all pandemic. All oh, yeah. And no, all, no, no, all no. in all, everything, yeah. And they're expecting a big quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I, I just want to say, I think I've said it before, we're talking about the the economy, we're talking about COVID, talking a lot about the riots mm-hmm. and uh, demonstrations. But as a Trump supporter, I got to tell you, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're hitting the target about what will actually happen if okay. Biden's elected. Of course, your taxes will go up. Everybody's taxes will go up. But also, you know, if they get Senate, and we'll ask Sean about that, and they have the House, Senate, and the White House, they will statehood for D.C., mm-hmm. statehood for Puerto, Puerto Rico. Rico. Split will, California. Maybe. You will not see conservative governance in this country for a long, long time. 
maybe add six people to the Supreme Court. Uh, all sorts of things will happen structurally. Maybe take on the Electoral College, change well, that. Well, because we're not sure if the moderate left is up to challenge the extreme left. Yeah, that's right. You know, and so right. you can't think, all right, well, if they get control of, you know, White House, uh, uh, Congress, and, uh, House of Representatives and the Senate, that the moderate Democrats will rule the day. No, mm. it will be the liberal because that's the way the, the, the Democrat Party is going. It's the way Biden's going. And they won't stop. Kind of an empty vessel being filled, and the filling is mostly coming from the left. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where the strong, that's where the strength is in the party. That's where the energy is in the party. Mm-hmm. So I think that you know, that could well happen unless uh, unless the, he stopped and Trump wins on the basis of uh, the blackmail vote. How about it? Are you hearing anything more? So no, I, you're not. I you're just not. saw a Washington Times article that said that it's up sixty percent, and I just, I just don't you don't see, you don't know anybody. I don't believe it. I just don't see it. You I, don't know anybody. I don't know anyone who will admit to me that they will. That they're voting for president. Well, do you think some will and they're not? I think some will. I think some will. I think. He doesn't need much, you know. If he goes from 8% of the black vote to 12, Mm -hmm. he wins. Well, I mean, we talked about it. I mean, you can hear what you want to hear on the I talk about it every week until you'll say yes, (laughs) which you're unwilling to do. Well, I mean, you can can believe what you believe in the news, uh, or you can see your own situation. And I know a lot of people who are better off now than they were, you know, three and a half, four years ago. And they'll vote against that? Well, that well, that I think that's the dilemma. Will they or won't they? Um, because the ballot box is is secret and sacred in some cases. Uh, you can do it without any, you know, without yeah. any uh, yeah. broadcast about it. So that's that's the question. You know, at the end of the day, is it is it? Well, he makes me feel bad, or or you know, he says things that incite people who I think don't you know like me for the color of my skin, or uh, I'm doing better and I'm going to vote for that. I mean, well, I think you, I think to. you need to get on the road. I think it's. Un- I think you need to run to wherever you want to go. Talk to a lot of black men. I, black women, I think, are you know. They're, they're not. Yeah, no black women. But the black yet. men, yeah. you know, who may like the president for a variety of reasons, their situations better. Mm-hmm. They, they're not offended by the style. But uh, I, I don't know. Keep, I, I know we keep reading these reports. Yeah, no. I mean, and, 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 and honestly, whether people like the president or not, I think it's undeniable. Yes, your economy's better. Your financial outlook is better. Like. It's better for you. And it's okay to say that, you know? No, we'll see. We just, we, we just votes, see. Uh, I'm still up. Uh, um, I dander's still up, and I'm still up in arms about school stuff. I just think that it's with the way they're shafting kids and, and parents by not opening. New York teachers said they'd strike. Mm. If de Blasio, not exactly a conservative, mm-hmm. really wanting schools to open, they're saying, no, you can't open. You can't open, then we'll go on strike. But the unions are pretty much flexing their muscle all over the country in the big cities, saying, hell no, we won't go. Mm-hmm. Hell no, we won't go. We're not going back to school because there's some risk. And by the way, pay us. Right. You know, full. In fact, give us more money. If it was all about the risk, then why even talk about the money? Why even bring it up if it's not? Well, if you want us to do, I mean, the remote is just going to cost us a lot more. Really? Why? Yeah. Why? I, it's just shameful. I mean, I. Maybe, and, and then this, it's starting to leak out in places, just actually what goes on in the schools, mm-hmm. some of this political correctness stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and This may be a turning point. People may just say the heck with it. Private school enrollment is up. Christian school enrollment is up. Homeschool enrollment is up. Yep. Uh, so we'll see. But, I mean, what they are doing to kids academically, obviously, losing a full year now, mm-hmm. many of them, Socially, mentally, mm-hmm. and physically, 
Kids, kids can't take this kind of thing. And what they're doing to their parents, well, yeah, that's the harm is much greater and someone, than the risk of them going back to school, which is, you know, I was on a panel on Fox and going on about COVID, COVID, COVID. I said, can I just say this just to remind people of the following? I don't think people realize this. If you're an American citizen, you have a 99.5% chance of not getting COVID and being seriously ill or dying. Mm-hmm. 99.5. It's pretty good. It's a big number. And, I mean, you may mention of the parents. I mean, it doesn't even take into, the, into consideration the fact that a lot of parents will have to go back to work and the kids are home. You know, what do they do? What happens? Mm-hmm. They don't have forcing parents yeah. to choose between being with their kids and being you know, making a living to provide for their kids. Right, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the risks have they're way overstating the risks. Well, maybe fifteen, twenty percent of the teaching force is over fifty-five. Okay, you know, over fifty-five with uh, with the pre-existing conditions. Excuse me, you stay at home. You handle the remote stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the kids are not carriers. Uh, it's just it's just shameful. It, it kind of tells you, it tells you what the what the union's priority is. It's the union. Mm-hmm. It's not the kids. And we know more about this virus than we did in March or in early April. So no. where, you know, you you could argue for shutting down the schools, bringing all the kids home, you know, virtual uh, school. You can make the argument for that. Yeah, April twenty twenty. You know, May twenty twenty. But we know more now. I mean, I don't understand how we open up movie theaters, but school, but schools can't. It doesn't make any sense. If we if we know enough now to keep people safe in movie theaters or in shopping malls, then we should know enough to keep kids safe in school. We know they they're safe at Walmart. Mm-hmm. Right. We know they're safe at Amazon. Yeah. So take your kids places. to Walmart and to the AMC to watch a movie. Just follow the procedure, but don't take them to school, and we won't even set up a procedure or protocol. It's just crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Just crazy. And, I, again, the damage being done to these kids. I, we know on the older kids that the numbers of uh, suicide, uh, a- actual suicides, and the number of young people considering it are mm-hmm. way up. Mm-hmm. Suicide hotlines, for example, way, yes. way up. Um, drug use, way, way up, again, for the older kids. But the damage being done to the younger kids mm-hmm. – they're terrified. Um, we were talking to somebody the other day, and, and the mom said, I, I can't take her everywhere because I have several children, so I'm talking about her daughter, her daughter a 14-year-old daughter. So I, I, I said, how about Uber? And she won't get in an Uber because mm-hmm. of COVID. Right. Now, Uber's policy now is every driver has a mask. Right. But she's terrified because we have terrified everybody about this thing unrealistically. But... You know, school. I mean, do we I, do we really think school was that unimportant that you could just say, well, there's some risk. Of course, life, life is risk, but yeah. how big is the risk? You're talking, when you're talking about schools, about some risk, tiny risk, compared to actual damage that you can see in these kids. I mean, they are just, you talk to parents, it's just, it's just a mess. And, you know, I, I got an email from a guy, a very well-off guy, uh, this, this Wall Street stuff. He said, "You know, I got a fourteen and a ten, and it's just, it's just hell." And he said, "I can afford everything. I can mm-hmm. afford, you know, my wife. I can afford daycare. We can afford people to come in. Well, these people can't afford anything, mm. right? And what kind of choices do they have? Mm-hmm. You leave your kids alone. I mean, well, and I, yeah. imagine being a parent. You've got kids, and you live in a high crime area. I oh, mean, geez. at some point, school is the only respite that the kids have from." 
danger and from crime in their own neighborhoods. You know, you want to talk about 14 or 10-year-old girls. I mean, you don't want – I mean, come on. People well, and you may you, you suggest this point I've been making, which is for the liberals to be doing this. We know the kids who are worse, worse affected are the kids who need the structure. The, most, the poor kids, school is the salvation. It's mm-hmm. a place where they get a good meal. There's structure, there's some role model mm-hmm. adults. And to be left at home is not good. There's some adults and people at the schools who you believe will uh, treat your kids right, and they actually do. And yeah. sometimes in some kids' yeah. lives, those are the only people, including some of the parents, by the way, they're the only adults in, the, in some of these kids' lives who they can trust, and, right. and the adults don't you know, uh, uh, forsake that trust or abuse it. No, I agree. So it's, it's, it's a mess. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we love your emails. We love the fact you're listening to the show. Let's get on to our guests. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. Joining us now is Sean Trendy, Senior Election Analyst for Real Clear Politics. Sean, welcome back to the show. How are you? Great. How are you? Okay, good. More. A lot to talk about. So, who do you think is going to be the next president? (laughs) Um, Probably Joe Biden. You think? Yeah, I think it's more likely than not. These polls Um, look right to you. What, What impresses you about the Biden chances from the polls? So the thing that impresses me the most is just the stability of them. You know, Joe Biden's been at about 67% in the national vote since forever. Uh, it was a little closer back in kind of May and April. It was a little bit bigger during, you know, June and July. But this this is a race that seems to want to be about a six-point Biden lead. And I think at a six-point Biden lead, he probably gets it done. Wasn't that pretty stable for uh, Hillary and and uh, and Trump too. So, so if you look back at that race, no. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't like all over the place. But what happened in that race is the race would close to about two or three points, um, and then Trump would say something stupid, <laughs> you know, going after the the Mexican judge or going after Kizer Khan, um, the the Access Hollywood tape, and it would blow open to like an eight point Hillary lead, and then it would just like taper back down until it was close again. Uh, so so that I think was a race that wanted to be two to three points, which is what it ended up being. It's just not enough people realize that with an electoral college, popular votes that Trump could win uh, while losing the popular vote by two to three points. I want to get talk about some issues and some other things too, but but uh, the only people I may believe more than you, I won't say more than you, but equal to you, are not these pundits, but my f- old friends in Las Vegas. They're they're put because you know that's money. They're put people putting money on this thing, and they and the people in Betfair in, in London are saying it's an even race. It's a toss up. So I think the problem with the prediction markets, uh, I think there's things where they're good, where they they can be useful, and things where they are not useful. And I think this is one of those things where they are not useful. I think they have two types of biases. Uh, I think they have the biases of the people who are likely to use them, which tend to be upper middle class. Not that gambling is an upper middle class event, but but online gambling on politics prediction markets yeah, yeah. is you know, we, we saw it in reverse in twenty sixteen when they were convinced Trump was gonna lose. They were convinced that Brexit was going to not happen. Um the trick to it though is that um it also I think is because these 
the people gambling on politics aren't necessarily experts. Just like I think like they're, they're like day traders in the stock market. The day traders yeah. drive yeah. the actual investors nuts because they'll, you know, get a, get a tip and drive up a stock that shouldn't be driven up or drive it down. Um, you know, they hear news or, or they get feelings in their gut or whatever, and it's not necessarily what's really going on. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's an even race. All right. Um, what about the argument? There are a couple arguments here, and you can dispense with them quickly or elaborate as you wish. There's a secret Trump vote. People, Trump voters aren't telling people they're voting for Trump, uh, and and the uh, and the polls are skewed toward Democrats and independents, not Republicans. So the first one more than the second, I think. Um, you know, the, the second one that there's a bias uh, towards Democrats and independents in and of itself, I think, is, is probably not a great bet. Um, and the issue is that you can't really glean that much from party registration or identification because it changes. Like people over time decide, hey, I think I'm I'm a Republican, and then they might decide they're an independent. So it's hard to say, and that can change in a matter of months. So it's hard to say, like, this is too Republican or this is too Democratic or whatever. The question, of, uh, the more specific question of shy Trumpism, uh, I think is an interesting one. And what makes it so interesting is that we can't really know. Uh, like, we, we don't know if Trump supporters are afraid to answer the phone. So it's possible, you know, and, and polls are off. Like, you know, even in 2012, the polls were off a couple points, but it was in Mitt Romney's favor. Um, so what looked like a close race ended up being a less close race. You know, Barack Obama won by three points instead of one. Um, so it's entirely possible uh, that these polls could be off by two or three, four, two or three points in Biden's favor. And what looks like a race that he wins by six points becomes one he wins by three. And in that scenario, Donald Trump can win the Electoral College. Two other questions that I want to talk about, Senate. One, what are the issues? First of all, is this is this on the basis of issues of personality? Uh, are people, Democrats for the most part, or Biden supporters for the most part, voting their way because they support Biden or they don't want Trump? Is, is not wanting Trump still the dominant reason for voting for Biden? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we live in an era of negative partisanship where people don't necessarily like their team, but they really, really don't like the other team. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I think that's important. Um, you know, if you're trying to, it's not that Biden has some massive, um, has some massive mandate that's coming um, because people love him. They, a lot of people just really don't like Donald Trump, uh, and, and that's a problem for him. And then if, if you were to view this through the lens of issues, what are the major issues, the three or four major issues? If you take rioting and demonstrations and rioting, you know, and crime in the cities, one, uh, COVID, two, uh, economy, three, uh, anything else, four, um, how would you place them in terms of priorities in voters' minds? Well, I think it's always the economy, first and foremost. Uh, you know, All right, let me interrupt you then. Let me interrupt you then. If he has a great yeah. quarter which is July, August, September, reported October 1st. Could that help Trump significantly? I mean, yeah. As a matter of fact, I think part of the reason, like I said, over the summer it looked like it it looked like he might get cartered, right? Like he was down by Uh 10 points in the polls. um, And we had just had a horrible quarter. Unemployment was at 14%. Like, yeah, it looks like at that point, this could get really bad. I think the reason he's back in the game is because, you know, unemployment is down to eight and a half percent now. And they're saying now 
you know, 29% growth in the third quarter or whatever. Um, the question is, there's two questions. The first is whether or not um, that keeps up, right? There's always a question of, of a fallback or whatever. And then the other question is whether it sinks in in time. You know, there's kind of a lag on these perceptions right. on how the economy is doing. So we, you know, and also, you know, if, if Trump wants to run the campaign on law and order, um, it's going to distract from what I think is a stronger economic message. But then again, I don't have the Trump campaign's polling, so I don't know exactly okay. what they're seeing. Yeah, I was just going to get to that. What is the strongest argument that can be made uh, by each side, and are they making it? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're Biden, you want this to be an argument about COVID, first and foremost, and then about general competence. Like COVID, for them, is a example of what they see as Trumpian incompetence. Okay. Um, and I think if you're Trump, you're talking about law and order right now because it's front page and it's something that even if it's not necessarily your greatest uh, issue matrix, it's not it's really not good probably for Democrats. So you talk about that. But at the end of the day, I think you're going to want to talk about the economy numbers. Yeah, argument will be, you know, look, this virus hit us. It hit everyone. Uh, but we're bouncing back stronger than ever. Something like that, I think, is going to have to be the closing argument. Okay. I, I guess I'm just an outlier here. I've been saying, but haven't called the campaign with it, just saying, gosh, you're, you're missing the most important thing, the change in American politics that will occur if Biden's elected. You will have, you know, if, if Biden wins, they take the House and Senate. We'll get to the Senate discussion in a second, I hope. Uh, you will see, uh, you know, uh, Two more senators from D.C., two more from Puerto Rico, maybe 15 people on the Supreme Court, maybe the abolition of the Electoral College. Holy smokes! That is a transformation of America and um, may not never see conservative governance again. Is that an argument worth making, or is that just too abstract? I think it's too abstract. Okay, that answers um, it. That'll, that'll do. Yeah. <laughs> no, that'll do. No, I, the, the immediacy, the riot stuff, obviously, and the COVID and, and the economy. I, I understand. Okay. Yeah, see, I'll say to the extent you're trying to get conservatives on board, like never Trumpers, those type, but, but like soft never Trumpers, something like that, I think, has some legs. But I think it has to be a very specific targeted argument, something you run in an ad on the pages of National Review or something like that. All right. Last thing on this. Um, I've heard several people say in light of the, you know, COVID and uh, absentee ballots and mass mailings even, you know, I don't know how it's going to resolve, but it's likely or even very likely I've heard that on election night, Trump will look like he looked like he has won because Republicans vote very much in person. But then after the count is done on the absentees, he, he will have lost. Yeah. So. I, I think there's two things there. Um, the first is that Florida traditionally counts its ballots very, very fast, including its absentees. Um, so, yes, uh, on, on election night, we will get Florida. And if, if Trump loses Florida on election night, we know he's not going to be president. Okay. Um, you know, if he wins by more than, say, two points, we know that he's probably going to be president. Wow. Um, now, that's good. That's he, interesting. And we'll know that yeah. by nine o'clock, right? Right. The, the kind of nightmare scenario uh, is that Trump wins Florida by a point, um, which means a very close election. And that means we're going to be litigating absentee ballots in, in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan for the next two months. Um, oh, this is and, and it's going to be exactly what you describe on election night. There's going to be a clear Trump win in Wisconsin, and it's just going to kind of trickle down. I want to say that, uh, say that again, so uh, we'll hold you to it, but I'm going to remember it. If he wins Florida by more than two, 
he'll be president. No, if, if it's between zero and two points in Florida, like he's going to win the the election day vote in Wisconsin, but then as absentee ballots trickle in, that lead will just kind of narrow. We see it in California all the time. Um, that lead just kind of gradually trickles down, uh, and that's where you're going to get the full-on conspiracy theorizing. You're going to get litigation over individual ballots, and, and that litigation never ends well. Um, we've never had it nationwide at a presidential level. Uh, so anyway, I'm hoping Trump either loses Florida or wins it by two points, because that, that middle scenario will tear the country apart. Zero to two is the middle scenario that tears the country apart. More than two, you think he's he's, he's in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and what about this? I know there are obviously going to be absentee ballots. All this talk and thing about the mass mailing. Are we going to have mass mailing? Yeah. I think in most states, there's some states that don't have uh, absentee uh, voting. Now, now, the question is, you know, with all this hoopla over the, the post office, have enough Democrats decided they don't trust the post office that they decide, hey, I'm going to go vote in person. I suppose that's possible. That's something uh, we have to consider. But I still think there's going to be more Democrats voting by mail and a lot of them than Republicans. Okay, let's talk about Senate. How do you see the Senate right now today? Um, I think the Senate um, is kind of on a nice edge. I think I'd probably like the Democrats' chances right now. Uh, if it were to tighten much more, I'd probably like the Republican chances. Republicans, you know, they, they can lose three seats net. They're almost certainly going, to, assuming Biden wins the presidency, almost certainly going to pick up the Alabama Senate seat so they can lose four. And there are kind of four seats that are, are really tough, extremely competitive. Um, Maine, Colorado, Arizona, and North Carolina. So if they lose those four, win Alabama, it's a 50-50 Senate. As I like to say, that's not really a Democratic Senate. That's a Joe Manchin Senate. Um, the question is whether Democrats can start to pick up some of these more um, borderline Senate seats, Georgia, Iowa, Montana. Uh, that's where that's where they start to get into a real working Senate majority and can do some of the things you're talking about. Uh, what about Michigan? I've been watching that. I, I happen to be a fan of this John James, uh, this black Republican there. Uh, he looks like he's running neck and neck. Is, is he not going to do it? Is your guess that Peters beats him in the end? Yeah, I mean, Republicans haven't won a Senate race in Michigan since 1994. No. Uh, now, they hadn't carried Michigan in a presidential election since 1988 until 2016. I think that Senate race probably goes roughly the way the presidential race goes. Like, I think if Donald Trump does, if there are a lot of shy Trumpers and Donald Trump does carry, does win Michigan, um, then James has a 50-50 shot of winning, let's say. Um, but I think in a universe where Donald Trump is losing nationally by six or seven points and losing Michigan by three, it's just an uphill swim for James. Okay. Let me ask you this, because this is something Claude and I talk about incessantly, um, and that's the black vote, particularly the black male vote. I'm seeing all sorts of reports that uh, black men are going to vote for Trump in larger numbers than 2016. Uh and that his totals among black population may go from 8% to 12%. Uh, a, comment on that. B, uh, if it does go to 12%, Trump wins, doesn't he? So if you look particularly at younger black men, um, there is less attachment to the Democratic Party than there is for, for older generations. And I think the answer there is, is, 
just kind of we see it in other groups too. Like there's a reversion to mean over time uh, for Vietnamese Americans, for Cuban Americans. You know, as you get to, toward away from the kind of quirky things that made them Republican leaning um, over generations, then you start to see less strong Republican voting. And I think the African-American community is experiencing that somewhat in reverse. As you get generations removed uh, from the civil rights uh, battle, the struggle. Now, I'm not talking 50-50 Republican voting. I'm talking like 80-20 instead of 90-10. But over time, that that makes a difference. So I I don't dismiss the idea that Donald Trump could get up to 8-9, if things go really well, 10%. 12 this time around, I think is a stretch, but I, I tend to agree that if he were to get up to 12% uh, of the black vote, uh, it's hard to see how, how Democrats win uh, those kind of swingy states in the upper Midwest where they really are dependent uh, on, on the black vote in places like Milwaukee and, and Minneapolis, Cleveland, et cetera. Okay. Okay. Uh, what did I forget to ask you? I'm going to wrap it up. You're very busy. We really appreciate it. And we're going to bug you again at least a couple of times. But what should I have asked you? What Tell tell us something we are not talking about that, that you know. You're, you're welcome to bug me, too. But uh, everyone does these, and they never ask about the House. Uh, and I think it's a safe assumption that the Democrats are going to take the House. But, you know, Republicans only need, you know, fewer than 20 seats uh, to take control of the House, I think. I, I haven't gone back and checked the math recently, but I think that's right. Um, and in a universe where Donald Trump does surprise and uh, wins the Electoral College, something like we saw in uh, 2016, I, I'm not sure the House is completely out of reach. Um, but we'll have to see. Wow. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Sean, we thank you so much. Always great to have you. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Joining us now, Conrad Black, author, columnist, and media contributor. So I've read four op-eds lately that you've written. You're pretty exercised about our election here. You're you're a great American. You're a... Well, you, you deserve some kind of a prize as a reader. Well, we're going to put up, we're going to link all of them, but I kind of like the Mister Rogers election the best. But we just interviewed a pollster uh, pundit a guy I like. He says, "Ah, uh, you know, I know what you think, Bill. I know how you feel, but it looks like Biden because this thing's been very steady." He said, "With Hillary, it was up and down, depending on what Trump was doing and saying. Uh, but this one looks pretty steady." And I, you know, I, I can give you all sorts of accounts of the psychological state of the American people, which is not good. But um, I am pulling for Trump. Uh, if I had to bet, I'd bet on Trump. But I'm worried. I am worried. I'm definitely worried. Well, uh, and I assume you're putting a question to me of some sort. That's the question. <laughs> Should I not be yeah. worried? <laughs> well, I know. I look at you. You, good gracious, Bill, you're a seasoned observer, and you know that it's always a terrible mistake to take voters for granted. So uh, complacency is never justified, even even if you see a landslide coming, like in '72 or '64 yeah. or, or '84. But um, uh, I disagree with whoever your your informant was that you just mentioned, because I don't think the polls are steady. I mean, I see the polls this morning show. Um, uh, Trafalgar has Trump leading in Florida, and, and, and uh, 
uh, I forget which one it is, Quinnipiac or something, has them leading in Michigan. And um, I think it's Monmouth has them uh, even. I may be mixing the pollsters up, but those three are all involved. Running even in Pennsylvania, where there was an eight-point lead. And uh, even in that, in that, to me, rather bogus blending of polls that Real Clear Politics runs, he's gained five points. I mean, he's shaved uh, you know, the approval-disapproval margin by five points in, in the last two weeks, or less than that, 10 days. And uh, Trump has. So I, I don't think the polls are stable at all. And if you, if you look at the underlying facts, uh, the basic democratic argument, and I'm, I'm trying to be impartial and objective in this. I, I, I support your president, and, and I, I'm not impressed by Biden as a candidate, but I'm trying to be completely objective as best I can. And uh, they're, they're, the Democratic campaign essentially is uh, to, to make a holy alliance with this pestilence and claim that, that Trump has completely botched it, is responsible for a huge number of deaths that need not have occurred, and, and uh, therefore, since he botched it, he's responsible for the resulting economic damage of the shutdown. Well, this isn't true. He inherited a, a, an absolutely uh, incapable and inadequate public uh, health emergency emergency response system. As you recall, uh, any test said to be by appointment in hospitals and sent to Atlanta, Georgia for evaluation. And now they're doing almost a million a day with quick returns. And, um, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, he, he ramped up the production of ventilators and so on. And, and the comparative performance of the country is good. He's ended, he had a full shutdown. He ended it relatively quickly, or at least encouraged the wind down of it quickly and and the unemployment numbers are coming in well and i think he's actually proved to be a competent executive and he's the first actual proven private sector executive that's held that office and i think there are some benefits to that so and and the rest of the democratic campaign is just trump hate orange man bad and uh, there's no doubt a lot of people feel that but i don't think they're going to get any traction with that and finally they have as their sort of ace up their sleeve if all else fails, which it appears to be doing, uh, because they're not going to get away with terrorizing the country all the way to Election Day if the fatalities keep coming down and unemployment keeps coming down, um, is, is whatever they have in mind on, on the postal ballots. Well, I, I, that's an area I, I really have no standing to comment on other than I, now I understand it's all of the courts now, and I think the judiciary, while not altogether reliable, will at least have an effort at a non-partisan verdict. And and uh, and I assume the Republicans are doing the necessary to make sure that they are as well armed with lawyers and monitors in place to deal with whatever skullduggery occurs as, as the Democrats are. So I I don't agree with this guy. I don't I I mean and if it's a straight mano a mano, I mean I'm speaking from Canada, which is a bicultural country, and the French Canadians, because they're extremely astute politically, more than the English Canadians are, govern the country most of the time, including now. And there's an expression in Quebec, c'est un chef ou pas un chef. He's a leader or he's not a leader. And 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 uh, you have the star system in the United States. Well, whatever else you may think of him, anyone may think of him, Donald Trump is a leader. And I don't think Joe Biden is. He has no background of actually leading anything. And, and, um, and, and you know, Donald's a star. I mean, he's a strange cat, but he's a star. And Joe Biden is a humdrum guy. Yes, I agree. I certainly agree with that last point. Um, by the way, uh, two things. 
and then you can dispense with our earlier guest. But he said two things that I found <laughs> interesting. One, he said, um, Florida will come in early and they will count early uh, and they'll be pretty, pretty complete. He said, if on election night, Trump wins Florida by more than two points, it's over. Trump will be president. In his favor. Yeah, it's over in his favor. Yeah. Second. Well, I well, I, I think you'll meet that criterion. I mean, I confess, I, I I was a homeowner, and as Mr. Nixon called it, the little pocket of poverty in Palm Beach for thirty years. Uh, <laughs> as, and I'm not at the moment, but I, I I know Florida, and I know a lot of people there. And I, I, I as I said, the, the poll this morning, I forget which of the polling organizations I mentioned it was, but um, they have Trump in the lead by two points. I don't see Florida going uh, for Biden. I just can't imagine it. Nice. I, I, I that. Of course, I can imagine it, but I, I just don't think it's going to happen. But let's face facts. If you don't hate Trump, why would you vote for Biden over Trump? I mean, he, 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 can't, he cannot. He, he has, has real problems demonstrating and convincing anyone. He has the stamina for the position. And he has, uh, and I say this with sympathy, not with, I mean, I don't dislike him particularly other than what he did to Bob Bork, but he, he has absolutely no propensity to utter so much as one paragraph without saying something. He then has to walk back and, and reconfigure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the second thing he said, I just love your comment on this. And I should confess that my colleague here, Claude Jennings and I have been having this discussion and that is, um, the black vote for Trump last time was eight points, eight percent. Um, and uh, this time, if it goes to twelve, Trump wins. Now, I've talked to Claude, and I'll ask Claude to say a word. Claude is a black person, knows a lot of black people, presumably more than I do. I don't know, probably. <laughs> Uh, certainly related to more black people sure. than I am. And Claude says he doesn't know anybody who's going to do that. Who's going to vote for Trump? Yes. Well, you know what this this is like? And I'd say this to Claude, who I've never met. And I, I obviously I wouldn't care what his skin color was, and I wouldn't know. But uh, um, it, when, when Jacques Soustel said to General de Gaulle, none of my friends approve of your Algerian policy, the general said, well, change your friends. Okay. So I just thought, should, I, should I politically upgrade his friends? I don't, it doesn't matter what their pigmentation is. He just get politically better friends. But, but Claude is a very sensible, very uh, conservative-oriented person who, uh, you know, homeschools his kid and um, you know, uh, acts responsibly. He's never lit fire to anything, as far as I know, except his fireplace. Uh, I'm just I'm making fun now, and I shouldn't. But but surely you would know somebody, Claude. Say something to Conrad. Well, please. I mean, it was you know, in 2016. There were there were some black men who voted for him, but they wouldn't say that they did. Uh, I think yeah. that that's the same case this time around. But I think there are less people who will vote for him and won't say that they did. I think some now. But, but Claude, it didn't all, you know, Senator Scott's enterprise zones and the, the huge effort that the Republicans made to put on really outstanding African-American spokespeople at the convention, the young attorney general of Kentucky and so forth, Cameron, uh, a great sequence of them. I mean, very, very impressive people. Uh, I mean, isn't that having an impact with anybody amongst that community? So it, it might be. the only, So the attorney general of Kentucky, he, he's Losing credibility with with the black folks over the handling of the, the Breonna Taylor situation, but uh, the, the the problem is is that even if you get a a black person up there, if the message doesn't resonate with the black people, 
it doesn't matter what color they are. They, they don't want to hear it. Now, Claude has said. Yeah, but what, what about the enterprise? Hasn't I, I mean, I, I, I realize everything was knocked around by the COVID-19 uh, problem, but you really had full employment in those distressed areas. Oh, absolutely. No, you're 100 percent right about that. And I and unlike the folks voting for uh, who will say they're not voting for Trump, I know a ton of black folks whose businesses are doing doing great. Families are doing great. Their personal economy is doing great. But they're still saying they're not they're not voting for. Them. Well, and in Washington, D.C., where you have a, a huge black population. I mean, years ago, there was a mayor, Adrian Fenty, who was black. Black folks in D.C. voted him out because they didn't feel connected to him. It was, it was a feeling thing. And I, and I think that that's what's happening here, too. Well, look, I, I certainly defer to you on the subject. I, don't, I, I have, from personal knowledge, extremely limited uh, grasp of how African-American voters would vote this year. I said my impression is that, that he's made an effort for them, and he's certainly done his best to promote uh, the more capable of them, and there are a lot of them within his party, and and put them out there front and center as absolutely a key part of the Republican administration's pitch to 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 be reelected, and, and he's really made an effort in a way that, in my opinion, no Republican president in my time has. I mean, some of them have made an, uh, an effort. Yeah. Now, I, I've, I've known like right. Bill. I've known all of, all of the Republican presidents, starting with Nixon, but uh, and they they were not prejudiced men at all in that way, not in the slightest any of them. A man like Gerald Ford wouldn't have a bigoted mode in his body, but they, uh, but they um, or Mr. Reagan, for example, the Bushes, none of them, but they, uh, I've never seen an effort as as professional, as believable, and as, as persuasive as uh, from the Republican Party as they've made this year to show the African-American community they really, they really want them and they really want to be helpful to them. I'll tell I mean, again, reading all, reading, reading all your op-eds, which I love and I agree with, I don't know, to quote Mrs. Ben, I don't know why anybody would vote for Biden. I just don't see it, you know, and I know the guy pretty well. But, but I'll tell you, one of my theories is that the COVID-19 does not basically affect immune system and, uh, you know, the, the internal uh, physical mechanism so much as the brain. I think people are just deranged on this thing. Well, well they, they, they've been terrorized. Yes. I mean, there's a, once, look, let's face it, Trump had a one election. When, they, when the impeachment thing went, and he went to speak in the world's largest cricket stadium in India and came back just before, uh, that, that, was, that was when the impeachment thing started, and, 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 and he was looking good. When that ended, he was, he had a one election. Uh, you know, the, there was no unemployment, and everything was booming, and he was doing well. Then uh, when the Democrats saw this, he, right from the beginning, they started their nonsense. We have to shut down everything. Trump's anti-science. You know, they, 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 they started running around like decapitated chicken saying to themselves, this is our chance to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. We'll turn this guy into the Herbert Hoover of the 21st century. We'll force him to shut the economy down. If he doesn't, we'll call him a Philistine and a troglodyte and, and, and an anti-scientific primitive. And uh, and then when he does, we'll hang it around his neck like a toilet seat that he's produced a terrible um, depression. And and that was their strategy. And then there's an idiotic nonsense that even Peggy Noonan is taken up of, of a test and trace. You know, we're going to have a secret police badgering people who met people who, who tested positive, telling them they have to stay in their homes for two weeks. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever heard anything so stupid from so many fundamentally intelligent people in, in the last 10 years. No, I know. And, 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 uh, but, but it's all bunk. And it, it's, uh, you see, I would have thought, and I, here I'm getting into 
speculation and the hope is father to the thought, I'm sure. But in the last, just to take the last month in October, I mean, the last month of the pre-electoral period, um, if the fatality numbers are coming down, and I don't see why they wouldn't, uh, can to come down and the unemployment rate continues to come down. I think Trump can say, look, as a country, we have fundamentally defeated this terrible thing. And and uh, the vaccine at that point will he can presumably honestly state with support from the scientific community uh, that, that a vaccine should be substantially effective is is, is imminent and I th- I think it'll be hard for, for you know the that whole democratic uh, uh, media crew the the propagandists they've got out there you know Blitzer and Dana Bash and uh, Morning Joe and only and world is big Brzezinski's daughter. And so forth. I think it'll be hard for them to, to, to keep the panic rolling, you know, to, to treat like the Black Plague or the, the tulip mania of the, of the 17th century, which is what they've been doing. Well, I don't know that it will be. They, they've kept it going for six months. I, 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 they, they, I, this is the one thing that I must confess to you uh, it, uh, worries me a bit. I, I, I didn't think... I, I didn't think they could keep it going as well as they have, and uh, and and to some extent that must be uh, Trump's fault or his party's fault. But um, and and I thought I thought the Republicans would get a bigger, quicker bounce from their convention than they have. But it, but they are they you, as I say, your guy, the earlier guest you had, uh, saying that the polls aren't moving. I mean, Bill, that's just not true. Rasmussen's at fifty-two percent, Emerson's at forty-seven, and they weren't they weren't there a few weeks ago. Well, uh, let me and, just come back to COVID here, uh, I, I don't blame uh, the, the, the Trump administration. I really blame the media, which has been, and even, you know, even my station, even my, you know, Fox and which I appear. At, uh, at times, it, they've been better than most. I yeah, mean, I, oh, I absolutely better than most. tolerate but, the other networks. So I almost never watch them. But, but the headline on all of them is, God, think about this. Now, I mean, I, I was a philosophy, English, and math major. I want to impress you with that. Uh, cl- uh, yeah, well, I, I, but I but but I mean, the headline is uh, number of deaths from COVID continue to rise. Well, what the hell? They're not going to go backwards unless we have yeah, Lazarus. Yeah, anyway, unless, unless we're getting the greatest medical miracle since yeah. Lazarus. They're not going to go down. Of course there are going to be more. But as I said the other night on Fox, because someone said, well, the COVID thing is so bad and continues to be. I said, let me just say this one more time. If you're an American, your odds of getting COVID and getting either really sick and dying uh, are point. Oh, five percent, ninety nine point five percent chance this will not happen to you. Ninety nine point five. What the heck? And and if we if we exactly and if we take normal precautions against what we now know to be the vulnerable. Yes. Excuse me, the vulnerable groups. Right. Uh, the, the, the chances are statistically insignificant. There's just as much a chance I'll take my wife's dog out for a walk tonight and some drunk will drive over the sidewalk and kill me. I mean, that's right. how big a chance it is. It's a very, very respectable neighborhood. I mean, it's not likely. Right. And the proof of the insanity is this. How sane can you be when... Governor Cuomo uh, is going to write a book about how successful he was in fighting this when he 
Well, there's I, more I blood on his hands than anybody. Shot for him to, to revive his pro, his prospects for four years from now, yeah, but, well, just, uh, but it's insane. It's crazy the way he did yesterday. He is, a, you know, he he brought the wrath of, of which isn't hard to do in this kind of a thing of, of the president down on him. And I, 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 I you know, the fact is, Trump is going to destroy that guy. He's just, and he's right to do it after after the provocations that uh, that Cuomo is, has, has, is guilty of. I mean, he begged Trump for assistance. He panicked. He didn't know he had 10,000 ventilators in a warehouse in New Jersey. Trump, you know, built the hospital for him in the Javits Center. He sent the hospital ship. He inver- invoked emergency powers to increase uh, ventilation, ventilator production. He did everything Cuomo asked, which Cuomo acknowledged at the time. And then he bit the hand that fed him and accused him of mismanaging it. And, and, and he is, it must be said, his negligence could be found to be complicit in the death of a significant number of elderly people. No question. I, 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 I agree with that. I mean, he's going to lose whatever else happens in this election or, or, or any future election. I, I, I think Cuomo's done terrible damage to himself. Uh, is Trump uh, and the campaign, are they talking about the right issues, Conrad? Is their target right, their priorities? Like I'm a little concerned. He's got to watch the law and order stuff at this point. If he goes too far on it, they are going to say that the, you know this all this nonsense about rooting for violence and so on. Uh, they're going to say he's being too heavy-handed. Uh, I mean, you, you, you've—it's as you know better than I do. It's a delicate thing. You've got to be clear that you don't approve of incompetent and and uh, particularly if it is so motivated, bigoted police work. And there's always room for improvement there. But on the other hand, uh, these people claiming to be angered by the mistreatment of some individuals in tragic individual cases uh, have injured 700 police and done a billion dollars of property damage and killed dozens of people. And and that and that is not the answer to it, to the problem. So I mean, I think I think he wants to be careful not to seem too strident and and too much of a kind of old time law and order reactionary. Um, and, uh, and and I think if, if if he and all his spokespeople, I mean, some serious ones, um, got a kind of text that they all memorized and read from on the facts, the absolute indisputable facts, they don't have to walk anything back, on how well the administration actually has done with this disease and what the prospects are, and just stuck to that, I think they'd be fine. I, I'm, I'm, I have the concern that he gets too flamboyant and reactionary. Shoots from the hip a bit, and uh, and that they're letting the other side. And, and let's face facts: the Democratic campaign's been conducted by the media. I mean, Biden hasn't run any campaign. It's, no. it's it's the Democratic media that Trump's running no. against. And 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 uh, so you know he's Gulliver and Lillip and Lilliput, You know he's got all these ghastly little people, Wolf Blitzers and Dana Bash is lying and who you know pecking away at him all the time. And, and he can't respond to them individually, and they don't deserve individual recognition from the president but but he, he's got to you know take the commanding heights of the argument and stick to them uh, but I, I think it's, it's all to play for and I, I think if he I think he will do it well because you know, he is the president he got there you know he does know how to win an election and 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 he's got a good case and and I think as you get closer to the election the, the issue of whether I actually like this guy is less important than bread and butter issues and how's the country doing and I, you know what do we want to do with the 
borders? Do we want to open them up? Do we want higher taxes? Do we, do we want to restore that preposterous agreement with Iran? Do we want the green terror? Do we want AOC out, uh, you know, uh, euthanizing the cows? I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think people will look at the issues as they get closer to it. What about this? Uh, and I'm, I've tried this out on a couple of people and, and haven't talked to the campaign because when I've tried it out with a couple of smart people, they said, way too abstract. And that is, and that is, if the if the Democrats win the White House and the Senate and the House, you will see D.C. get two senators, Puerto Rico get two senators, Supreme Court may go to fifteen. You may get rid of the Electoral College. Uh, the borders will be open. It'll be the end, the end of conservative governance, certainly for for a very long time. To abstract, yeah, I. I- yeah, I agree, and I I, I I write those points myself, and but um, I, 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 I think the public wouldn't sink their teeth into that right away. I mean, we, I think they would see if you're if you're running a scare campaign of your own that that that, that you're you're a little reluctant to run on your record and on what you're promising to do in the next four years. I, I, I mean, I, I, I'd add that as an afterthought, but an important afterthought. And by the way, you know, this is also true. Look what they're doing. And, and, and the, post, the, the whole postal voting thing is part of it too. And, and, and the, you know, the preventing the census takers from ascertaining the citizenship of people and so on. It's, it's all of the piece, you know, it's attempt to permanently rig the elections and, 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 you can get to that, but yeah, but I wouldn't put that as the first item. Yes. What What about this? Come back to bread and butter and the economy. Uh, a lot of comments this morning. A lot of people believe, and I even heard one of Obama's economic advisors say, uh, the a third quarter is going to be very strong. July, August, September. We'll have that report in early October. Will that right. um, will that be time to register? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that'll have an impact. I, I, you know, I think the, the narrative you want to be able to say, because you can't invent it, it's got to be real, is uh, we COVID is in decline. It's in inexorable, irreversible decline as long as we act prudently as a country. And and the economic consequences of it are also in decline. We're fighting the economic and public health battles concurrently. It was the only way to do it. This democratic argument that you had to eliminate the virus before you could deal with the economy while living off borrowed which money, which is which is really just expansion. It's just printed money. It's expansion of the money supply. Uh, it's it, it nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. It's the road to disaster, both both medically and uh, economically. And we had to fight the battles concurrently. We're doing it. We're winning both, and they're both going to be won altogether quite soon. You and here are the facts. I, I think they've got the winning argument. Uh, they, they and they just need a little more coordination. Look, I have to say this. I think they're running a, a damn good professional campaign. I'm very impressed with this guy Murdoch. I'm very impressed with Kaylee McEnany. I, I think. For once, the Republicans look like the professional operation, and the Democrats are floundering around with a completely unfeasible candidate. And and I have to restate their position every every couple of days yeah. on a lot of issues. Yeah, one thing I learned when I when I left my jobs in Washington, they said, "What'd you learn?" I said, "Lesson from football: you're on offense or you're on defense." And they are on offense. Trump campaigns on yeah. offense, not the usual defensive, apologetic Republican tone. You know. 
Yeah, it used to be, and I think this goes back to Roosevelt's day, that the Democrats generally had a more professional, I mean, just a, you know, just a, a slicker professional campaign. They could win with, with a great figure like Eisenhower or, or, or Reagan, and, the, and and Reagan had a pretty professional operation. Uh, Nixon was a pro, but there were kind of, there were always funny and awkward things with Nixon, you know, including aspects of his own personality. But here, I mean, look, as we say, Trump is a strange cat, but, but he's a he is a competent executive, and and and, uh, and you know I had a lot of dealings. We were partners in something, a, a project in Chicago, and uh, it, it, his people are very good. And I think he's showing some of that in the way the Republican parties run. I mean, it it, it looks to me like a real slick professional operation. And their convention was certainly much much more effective than the Democrats. Okay, and I doubt if even the Democrats would 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 uh, privately would would disagree with that. All right, last question: He wins? Question. I believe. I believe I've never wavered in that. I I have had moments of concern, and I thought thought he would come up faster than he did in the first few days after the convention, and I'm certainly not overconfident. There are many ways to lose an election, and and this one is a close election at this point. But uh, I say say he wins safely enough. I I, I think he he wins on his record. He wins on his program. The, the, The essentially Sanders program is not one that commands majority support on any of its points anywhere in the country. I mean, anywhere, I mean, in some households, but in any serious jurisdiction in the country. And, and, uh, and uh, yes, I think, I think, and, and as I said, Trump's a star and Trump's a leader and Biden is a, you know, he's uh, in Cromwellian terms, a decayed servitor. And we've got a few wild cards here. I haven't DK given what? up on Durham coming in and, and, um, you know, and, and the, the Trump has a uh, uh, Biden has a probity problem, you know. I mean, yeah, sure. t- you know, I mean that Ukraine thing is is kind of out of the news right now. But it would be appropriate in in a in an appropriate way to uh, remind the country that there's some very unexplained aspects of how he used the position of vice president in financial terms. Cromwellian, a what? No, I missed the second part of that. A, a, a decayed servitor. Oh, servitor. That that was his description. When he, when he said to the House of Commons, you came here to address the nation's grievances and you are now its greatest grievance in God's name, go. He said they were a bunch of decayed servitors. He was, great, he was a great epigrammatist. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Conrad. I feel better now. Much, much better. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. All right. That does it for today's show. Catch up on previous episodes of the show if you want. Go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Please feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. We're growing, aren't we? We're yes, no, absolutely. I mean, we get emails all the time from folks saying, hey, I found the show yesterday. Right, found the show found yesterday. It, you know, last week. Great. It's great. Tribute to you. On to you, actually. Okay. All right. Not many people listen to the Claude Jennings show. I mean, they listen well, to the Bill Bennett show. Well, it's Bill and Claude. <laughs> Maybe we should rename it, huh? Maybe. Well, we have to renegotiate the contract. Mm-hmm.